Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast followed by a reflection. The Life of St. Philip Neri by Antonio Galonio, section 18, chapter 214. Philip cures more sick people. At the beginning of the year 1597, a priest named Giovanni Battista Felice, aged 75, was suffering from terrible toothache. He was in so much pain that it could rank among the greatest of tortures. It grew continually worse, but he applied a handkerchief of the Blessed Father to his gums and teeth, and the pain and suffering disappeared at once. In the same year, in early March, a nobleman called Mark Antonio of the De Santis family was in danger of death from a pestilential fever. The doctors despaired of his recovery, but one night he tied round his neck a bag containing some of Blessed Philip's hairs and began to feel better at once. That very night, his life was secured, and after four days, he was totally healed. With sincere gratitude to God and blessed Philip, he had a silver votive plaque of considerable weight sent from Naples to Rome for Philip's tomb in fulfillment of his vow. On the 31st of March that year, Marcello Lorenzi, who is now Bishop of Strangoli, was suddenly seized by severe pains in the groin so severe that he was sure that he would not be long for this life unless God were to save him. The pain had racked him for about four hours before one of his servants reminded him of Blessed Philip, saying, Commend yourself to Blessed Philip. Implore that holy man to help you. He will surely come to you and help you. He did as he was advised and called on Philip. To be brief, immediately on invoking his name, he found all his pain gone. He fell asleep, and when he woke up soon afterwards, having slept for about a quarter of an hour, a large stone emerged, as big as a pine nut, he claims that it was through his prayer to Philip that he was delivered from imminent danger. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Angels of God, our guardians dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this day be at our side, to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, have mercy on us, St. Philip Neri, choices of priests, child of Mary, vessel of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. In tonight's reading, we hear of three miracles. Sometimes Glonio in a little chapter, we'll talk about one, sometimes two, 
And tonight he talks about three. And the interesting thing is about these three miracles put together is how the first one occurred at once. The second one occurred partly at once, but really it took four days for the total healing to take place. And then the second, the third miracle was immediate in terms of the pain, but then it took about 15 minutes for the stone to emerge. So St. Philip's miracles in a way happened at once, a way they take time. Some of them are at once and take a little bit of time. Now, why is, is all this significant for us? Well, think for a moment about the sacraments. Because when we hear of these miracles, we have to go back to the miracles of Jesus. It's no point in thinking of the miracles of the saints if we don't at the same time think about Christ. Because what the saint is, is a prolongation of the incarnation. What the saint is showing us is what Christ would do if he were here and now in that position. And the way in which Christ's miracles happened, using material things, using mud, using spittle, using hands, using water, using the fabric of his clothes. All these elements of Christ's miracles were meant to teach us about the sacraments, that what Christ did in his lifetime and using material things and using words would bring about physical, spiritual changes, which were anticipations, preparations for what he would do in the sacraments. And the miracles of the saints are a reminder that miracles still happen, that Christ worked these miracles, but also they're meant to remind us that still of the sacraments. So tonight, a toothache is taken away at once. Well, when you go to confession, as soon as the priest says, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, at once your sins are forgiven. But then think of the second example here. There is a little delay. Four days he's totally healed. Although he felt better at once, there was a little bit of a delay. And why is this significant for confession, for example? Well, our forgiveness happens all at once. Immediately feel better. Immediately feel joy and peace from going to confession. But then the priest will have you do some penance some kind of prayer or sacrifice or good work to help make up for the consequences of our sins so that we can have full spiritual healing. And that may take a bit of time, maybe not four days, but the point is, is that even that healing represents what happens in the sacrament of confession. Feeling better at once. Never should forget that about confession. That's what the Council of Trent says. There is a peace and a consolation and a joy that comes from going to the sacrament of confession. And think of the third example. He was 
had the pain taken away immediately. He took some rest and then, and then the stone came out. Well, this is kind of like in confession when you confess your sins, you're truly sorry, you say everything that's on your mind. And what happens? All your sins are forgiven. As long as we don't hold anything back, they're all forgiven. But then later, maybe 15 minutes later, later after a nap, you might remember, oh, yeah, there was that big sin. Big sin I forgot. And then it comes out. Well, that's okay, too. And all this, all that we need to do at that point is the next time we go to confession, we, we bring that to the Lord. It's already been forgiven, but the church is a good mother and wants us to bring to the sacrament of confession all previously unconfessed serious or mortal sins we're, we're aware of. Because remember, the sacrament of confession has as its proximate matter, that is, what is really working on immediately is our contrition for our sins, our sadness at sinning, our hatred of the sin, our purpose of not sinning again. That, together with the confession of the sins and the intention to make up for them, for their consequences, that's the immediate matter, the proximate matter that the priest's words, the Christ's words works on. The actual sins we committed, well, those are the remote matter. Those are the things that are kind of the necessary condition. And we have to mention them. But that's why even if you forget a sin, you can come back later and mention and get the sacrament again. Because you renew your contrition. So let us tonight pray for more priests. How blessed we have been in our lives. We've been able to go to confession at some crucial moment. How blessed we are that there was a priest there to hear our confession. Tonight's reading has a 70 or five-year-old priest, and it has a bishop who were healed. Well, Lord, raise up in your church holy priests to hear confessions. Raise up bishops who will promote priestly vocations, work for priestly vocations. Because the sacrament of confession is the ordinary means after baptism for the forgiveness of sins. But it's also the ordinary way that we gradually over time become saints. John Paul II said, if you'll go to confession once a month, we'll become saints. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.